good evening and welcome to Conversations with Crystal. I'm your hostess Crystal and this evening I have another fabulous guest for you. Please make welcome Ray Falzon. Hi Ray, how are you this evening? Hey Crystal, everything's fine, I'm great, thanks. That's good. You've been having a good day, mate? Good day. It was a restful day. Well, I like restful days myself. Yeah. So there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, yeah. Right. So, Ray, you know, I've met you some years ago now uh, at one of the jams and I think it was at... Um, Granola, I think. The, it might have been. But I also uh, used to see you at um, Ballface Stag and oh, also yeah. also down at... Um, the carousel at Rudy Hill, I think. Now, I wanted to take this opportunity to say thank you to you publicly because you helped me at the start learn all about blues. You showed me how the progressions were. You sat down with me and we watched some songs and listened to some songs and you gave me a really good starting platform for it. And when I couldn't get a certain song, you were so patient, so, so patient with me. And every chance we got, which might have been every week or every second week, I said, oh, can we do that song, Ray, just to practice? And you said, absolutely. You never once were not accommodating. And I really want to thank you for that because that song is now the number one blues song that I do. Oh, really? <laughs> it is. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh, that's all right. As long as uh, we got something out of it. <laughs> yeah, well, I certainly did. I, um, you know, definitely got the love of. Well, I had the love of blues beforehand, but the knowledge uh, is what you helped me with, and that's a massive thing for one person to help another like that. Oh, it's, it's a pleasure. I've, I've sort of helped a lot of people in my life. It's just normal. You pass it on, you know. Yeah, yeah, pass it on and it comes back around too. Mm. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> <coughs> now, Ray, uh, what do you do with yourself these days? You're still going to jams and playing music? Well, since the COVID business, um, there's not many jams around. We, um, I've moved to the Northern Beaches, so... I'm sort of um, out of the mainstream because um, a lot's happening out west and um, probably south, mm-hmm. but not much happens in this area. Um, I don't see myself um, starting a band again because, you know, I'm nearly 70 now. And um, who wants to see an old man tuck away, you know? So, Jammed. You'd be surprised. <laughs> well, there's a lot of good guys out there and, and uh, they deserve it because they've put a lot into it. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, where were we? Uh, yeah. So you like going to the jams? Yeah, the jam nights are fun. Um, you, it's meeting the people there. They've all got an interesting history. And you can't tell by looking at them what their industry uh, history is. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's true. Um, um, recently, I went to a jam, uh, and Charlie Faruja, Jim Finn's bass, uh, occasional bass player, was there. Well, Charlie was my next door neighbour when I was a kid growing up. Oh, really? And I used to hear 
his band practice, which was an early inspiration, uh, t- two doors down. Every Sunday they would practice and um, and then running into him at the jam, it was just amazing. Yeah, yeah. Did you get up and jam with him that first night? Do you saw him there or? Um, well, he's a bit older than me, so he was intimidating when he when we were I was young. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but um, uh, no, I, I came across him. He came to a, a jam night. Um, he came to a jam night and we recognised each other and we just ch- chatted. Um, <clears throat> um, about five years before, he um, he dated a girl, a friend. His girlfriend was a friend of a friend. Mm-hmm. And I had room and I go, oh, that's not Charlie Ferrugia from Wentworth or, you know. They said, yeah. And um, so I heard he was still a musician. But then I ran into him and bang, that was good. Yeah, yeah, definitely would have been. Now, Ray, going back a little way, mm-hmm. what was your earliest uh, inspiration, apart from hearing Charlie and his band practicing, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. or influence? Like, did your pe- were your parents musicians? Did you did they play music a lot at home? How did how did music come into your life? <clears throat> well, I had big brothers and sisters, and they listened to the music of the time, which was all. Um, what do you call them, crooner-type music, mm-hmm. you know, well, sort of Frank Sinatra and... Uh, Tony Bennett, maybe. Yeah, yeah, all that sort of people. And then the Beatles hit, um, but actually uh, around about um, early high school, <coughs> the Monkees hit. Yeah, right. And I had a group of friends, four or five male friends, and we decided we'd mimic the Monkees. Oh, really? So we all got nominated our instruments and then um, at, I think, 11 or 12 years old, I was in a shopping centre with my mother and I pointed at a guitar in a guitar shop and she bought it for me. Oh, good on mum. And it was $22. It was Suzuki and the strings were about a foot off the fretboard. Fretboard. (laughs) Oh, yeah. <clears throat> but I practiced and I didn't want to bother with chords, so I just practiced melody and tunes, not knowing what music entails. So I just learnt melody to Old MacDonald Had a Farm and all those sort of things. Mm-hmm. And then a, a, a bit later, this guy uh, played in a band, um, the, our local dance band, and I walked up to the guitarist and I said, can you teach me for, um, I don't know, $10, I think it was. Mm-hmm. So I went to his place and he taught me chords, how to use chords, uh, bar chords very quickly. So I got that. And then I learned the importance of chords. But he also turned around and said, oh, you'll never be a guitarist. You just um, haven't got it in you. <gasps> <clears throat> so anyway, it turns out he's married to my uh, cousin. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I think he still plays. I don't see him that often, but, um, yeah. Uh, well, he'd be eating his words now, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. He, he sort of um, got out of music early and raised a family and did all that sort of stuff. I think he still tinkers. I don't sort of stay in touch with him that much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. So he gave you some lessons for a while. How long one, was it before? 
<laughs> one lesson. One lesson, was it? Just one. <laughs> yeah. Did you ever go to another teacher, like somebody for a longer period of time, or did you no, no, get that little basic from him and then ran with it? No, actually the other way around. I got a job at the local music shop teaching guitar. Did you really? There you go. And teaching taught me more than um, I think I learnt more teaching than um, learning from Wow. Other. And what was the guitar shop, like a uh, music shop? Where was that? Oh, that was in Wentworthville. Um, the owner was an old school teacher from school who um, stopped teaching and bought the, uh, um, set up a music shop. Wow. <coughs> Mrs. Turner. And her husband, um, they were great, and they employed me as a uh, guitar teacher, mm -hmm. early students. And they would ask ridiculous questions or want to know the latest uh, tunes. And so I forced myself to learn through their questions. Wow. That's a really interesting thing to do, isn't it? Really interesting to learn as you're teaching. That's really yeah. good, I think. Very interesting. I've, I've never had a one-on-one -on -one teacher teach me a guitar. Never, ever. Wow. That's interesting too. It means you've got the ear for it and having the ear is also very, very important. Oh, well, my father played saxophone. Uh, oh, there we go, yeah. He was in a marching band back in Malta. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> yeah, and my brothers all played music. So <clears throat> at the same time, two other brothers took up music. Um, another brother took up bass and, uh, well, actually, they both took up bass. But they let it go and I stayed on. Yep. <clears throat> and I've got a little brother that I've influenced and he plays brilliantly. He's just absolutely fantastic. Guitar, does he play guitar? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now, do you play any other instruments other than guitar? Well, I did have a violin for a while. I've got a piano behind me. Oh, lovely. I've got about 60 guitar or, or instruments. Yeah, oh, that's fantastic. Do you do you sometimes uh, open a case and go, oh, I forgot I had that? Uh, not really. <laughs> <laughs> you got a better it's, memory than it, me then. No, I shift into moods like if I'm in a country western mood or if I see a clip of David Lindley, for example, mm -hmm. I'll go and pull the steel guitar out. Oh, lovely. And and if, I, if I'm in the mood for Mark Knopfler, then they'll have three Stratocasters in the lounge room. If I'm in the mood for, um, you know, Bob Dylan and shit, I'll have Dobros everywhere. And yeah, yeah. Sticks. So <clears throat> I flow from one to another. That's good, though, to have a lot of interest in a lot of different genres is, is really fantastic, I think. Yeah, but it doesn't make you great at anything, so... You know, you can be a jack of all trades or a master. Master of none. I've, I've yeah. heard that saying, but I think to be well-rounded, especially if you were going to be writing music or, or just even for the love of it, to play different things, uh, listening to all different groups and genres mm. is what you need to do to see how songs are constructed and how music yeah. flows. Yeah, well, I, I'm a believer of a thing called first principles, and that is you understand what you're doing um, rather than learning things, um, learning, uh, let's relate it to the times table. Mm -hmm. There are people that learn the rhythm of the timetable 
mm-hmm. the, the mathematical timetable, and there are those that know how it works, how to, what the mechanics are of three times seven and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. <coughs> and if you know the mechanics of things and, and how it works, the first principles, you could do anything. Right. But if, if you learn parrot fashion, you're only capable of doing what you've learnt. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah. Very, very true. Very good point, Ray. Very, very good point. So everything I do, I do it from principle. And so out of that, from what I know of guitar, I can extend it to the Indian sitar, for instance. Yeah, yeah. Or the 10 steel, um, pedal steel guitar, which is 10 strings tuned in an E13th chord. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> or a dobro that's tuned in open D or open G. Yeah. If you understand the relationship of the notes uh, and all that, then it's not hard to change from one instrument to another. To another, yeah. When did you ever do any theory or le- uh, teach yourself any theory? Well, in, in teaching kids, I, I did teach the theory. Theory, yeah, yeah, yeah. right, yeah. Can I ask, because I don't think we covered it, how early on or what age do you think you were, roughly, when you first wanted to play guitar, when you pointed to that guitar and your mum bought it for you? Well, before that, I think I was a seven-year-old or eight-year-old. <clears throat> My mum used to take me to bed, to go to bed early. You know, she'd hit the hay at about 7 o'clock or 7.30. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I used to mimic playing guitar in bed, pretending I was Zorro serenading a lady on a balcony. Oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> and around that time, my cousin bought a guitar, one of those cheap things with a, a palm tree uh, painted on the body. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and hearing him play uh, and learn, I, I was inspired. I wanted that. Yeah, right. And that led to my mother getting me a guitar. Plus yeah. my friends are still wanting to do monkeys antics. Yeah. So <clears throat> then we eventually formed a, a band, George Turnbull and I, um, at school. <clears throat> and at that point, Black Sabbath broke out. So we were doing early Black Sabbath and um, uh, Cream and uh, Jimi Hendrix stuff. Nice. We were just, just a three-piece. And um, from there, um, my cousin's band was called Solid Ash. <clears throat> they sort of came apart and reassembled, and I ended up in that mix. Um, okay. And then um, uh, we realised it's not Solid Ash anymore, it's a different band. <clears throat> we did a few gigs of Solid Ash, and then we changed its name to Geezer. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and we did a few gigs as geezer, but I uh, realised that um, none of us were singers. <laughs> okay. So we got a guy named Tony Sini. He did. And Tony um, was young, long-haired, loud. He looked like geezer butler from Black Sabbath, so he's really cool looking. Yeah, right, yeah. <clears throat> so anyway... Um, uh, by the way, we didn't name him Geezer after Geezer after Geezer Butler. We already uh, just had the name. Yeah. We sat around and said, "What are we going to call the group?" Marty said Geezer, and we all said, "Okay, that's done." <laughs> How easy was that? <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, and but, did you? Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, but as as the band Giza, we did lots and lots of gigs. We did um, probably about five gigs a week. Uh, wow. Back in those days, there was music everywhere. This is um, early 70s. Mm-hmm. High schools had, had gigs. Um, uh, every town hall seemed to have a dance or something. <clears throat> and every night they would hire three bands and you would either be the warm-up band, the um, mainliner, which is in the middle, or the closing band. Mm-hmm. Um, and we would get any of those three spots at different nights. So some nights we would be doing two two in one night. Yeah. You play one hour at one place and then you have to all drive to another place and do another hour. Um, and we averaged about 100 bucks per spot each. Um, Gee, and, I was just about to ask you that. And today it's about the same money for, <laughs> for the same thing. Uh, yeah. I haven't seen a change in good musician fees since the 70s. No, listen, I was talking to a few other musicians and they said the money's the same from 40 or 50 years ago. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding. No, that's like, true. It's um, deplorable really, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, the most success I've had at making money has been in a duo because you only split it two ways. That's it. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so geezer, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so we got a manager, a guy named Steve Rondo. He used to manage Hush. Yes. <clears throat> and they went on to a guy named Peter Ricks who made them famous. Mm-hmm. So Steve um, had a bee in his bonnet about losing Hush. So he wanted to turn Geezer into the next big thing. Oh. <clears throat> so he set it up like a Gary Glitter band, um, two drummers, costumes and that. And Tony Senior and I did a few of those. I was out first and then he was out. It was all glam and, and it totally changed because we started as a blues band. Yeah, right. And, and the manager, a bit like um, Brian Epstein for the Beatles, Changed us, changed Geezer into the Geezer Rock and Roll Show. Right. <clears throat> but anyway, there was no ill feelings, uh, so we all remained friends. And um, uh, so, yeah, Geezer went on and released a record and did their thing. Mm-hmm. And I I got married. Oh, well, <clears throat> I, I tried a few banders out and odds and ends, but I went. I was about to get married and a bunch of personal things happened. I didn't get married. Um, I, I graduated uh, my electronics course and my sister got brain damage. So my, oh. my life changed in, in one big bundle. Yeah. <clears throat> so I packed up and moved to Wollongong and got into television. Yeah. Pretty much for the last 40 years or so. I worked in television. Right. And um, in the in the mid nineties, I started my own company called RFX. Uh huh. And uh, yeah, for twenty five odd years, we made TV commercials. Um, it was specialised in um, special effects for TV commercials. Oh, I didn't know that. That's so interesting. Uh, yeah. Um, so yeah, that was. Uh, 
<clears throat> I, I still, the company still runs, but I, uh, I've got no staff and I don't do edits anymore and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I, I, I was one of the first paint box artists in Australia, paint box being an electronic thing that you can draw on. Yeah. <clears throat> this is back in 1982. And um, so I built a reputation in the TV and film industry as a special effects artist. Oh, that's so cool. And um, by the late 90s, I was pretty well known <clears throat> that I started my own company and I just did the good bits on TV commercials. So they would transfer the film at one place, do the audio at another, mm-hmm. come to me and do all the fancy dressing up. <clears throat> they weren't big budget commercials because there was houses like Animal Logic or Video Paintbrush Company that were at Apocalypse. They were much bigger than me, but the dregs of the industry was good income. Yeah, right, right. So I, I sort of brought creative um, solutions to people that couldn't afford to go to the big boys. Oh, that's really good. And that, that's that, really good. That made me good money. So Yeah. So I, I spent about 30 to 40 years in television and in that time, I um, had a guitar in the office, a guitar in the car, guitars at home. Um, So I would come across musicians Mm -hmm. in the course of my business. So people like Richard Clapton and uh, the guys from Sherbet and In Excess would walk the hallways of Apocalypse or digital pictures where I worked because they were getting their film clips done. Yeah, right, yeah. And when we would have Christmas parties, um, they would be there. So you, you get to meet and mingle with a lot of good people. Yeah. Or even work on their clips and do things um, and celebrities and all sorts of stuff. So that was an interesting period of my life. It sounds very, very interesting. All those people you must have met. Wow. That's so cool. Yeah. When I was in Giza, we played with uh, Sherbet one night. Yeah. And um, uh, where was it? Um, Tarum, not, uh, uh, place started with T down south. Anyway, uh, it was a huge, huge hall. 3,000 people were expected. Wow. And this is just a dance. And um, Sherbet had a wall of purple amplifiers. The whole... <laughs> One side of the building was all speakers. Wow. And us and the other support band were told to use their equipment. We couldn't take it. <laughs> yeah. So it's just turn up with guitars, plug into theirs. Their sound engineer took care of us. And then Sherbet would come on and do their big show. Right. And um, I, I can't remember if we were first or not. It doesn't matter. Um, <clears throat> but before the show, I ran into Daryl Braithwaite. Yeah, they weren't, they were just starting to be famous. And he was telling me that he was pointing out his Datsun 180B. And he says, Oh, we've just been given these cars um, as a sponsorship. And everything was rushing, uh, fame and fortune was rushing to him. You know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. He was a bit uh, taken aback. Uh, So we had a good little chat before the gig. And anyway, years and years and years later, 
I run into him again in the hallways of um, digital pictures. He's getting a clip edited. Mm -hmm. And I recall that night and he remembers it. And he was really nice and we had a good little chat. So, yeah, a lot of uh, high regard for Daryl Braithwaite. He's a good bloke. Yeah, oh, that's fabulous. <laughs> that sounds really, really cool, actually. Really, really cool. <clears throat> so after, after Geezer, did you go do another band uh, after a while? or? Well, like I said, I spent 30-odd years in television. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did... So nothing in, the, in between that time. No, we did television jams, so we would have Christmas parties. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of musicians in the television industry. Mm. For instance, uh, Les Gock, um, used to be the guitarist in Hush, ran an audio uh, music company, um, Sobzu it was called. <coughs> so there was Les Gock, there was Mike McClellan, who had his own little agency. He was a, an acoustic uh, folk guitarist in the 60s. Mm-hmm. So he would play my little guitar in the back room. Um, guys like Graham Bond, who was Auntie Jack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, people like that. And if you've got a guitar in the room, someone will pick it up, doodle and play. Absolutely. So that was fun. And um, uh, well, well, when I started RFX, we were starting to do uh, not song clips, but ads for records. Okay, yeah. Um, <clears throat> because uh, record companies were um, – stingy with their budgets, they would go to the (laughs) cheapest place as possible. So we had record company work coming out of our ears. Fantastic. And so occasionally they would come down to the place and supervise the editing or whatever off the commercial. Uh, And that was a fun way to meet people as well. Yeah. That sounds – you've lived such an – I think that's an exciting life, Ray. It's the tip of the iceberg. <laughs> the tip of the iceberg. Well, I like that. I like that. I think we could um, talk at length on that somehow. Yeah. Yeah. So when did you start picking up your guitar like you did at the jam? So after you were uh, doing I, that body of work? Then I uh, ran into or came across Sean McCarthy. Yeah. Um, I hadn't been in a band and, and I got word he's after a guitarist. His guitarist just left him in the lurch or some, something like that. <coughs> so I went and saw his band at the Lansdowne Hotel. Uh, I worked out in my head you could get away with pentatonics on this music. And yeah. um, so he asked me to play on his next gig. So without a rehearsal, I uh, went to his next gig and plugged in and played. Excellent. Um, all I needed to know was what key they were reading, and off we went. And yep. uh, I channeled my oh, Jimmy Page, let's uh, Jimmy Page, Eric Clapton, my rock, rock god. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you just channel that and um, become that person, yeah. And, and I was able to do it, yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. And did you, did you uh, do any more with Sean or was that? Well, it? he introduced me to the jam at Parramatta. Mm-hmm. And, um, oh, I used to go and watch Jim Finn, but I never participated at, at um, 
uh, where was it? Uh, Leichhardt. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I, I always thought they were musicians beyond my capability, uh, the guys at, at the Leichhardt Jam. Right. <clears throat> but um, Sean took me to Parramatta um, to a place. Um, I forgot the name of the place. Uh, but anyway, it, it was a fantastic jam uh, that ran for a while and just about all the jammers uh, went there. Mm-hmm. I, I sort of met everyone there. Uh, and I didn't sing at that stage. I only uh, played guitar. Mm-hmm. And so I played guitar for Sean and all these spots. And that was great. That was really good. Yeah. And that sort of got me into jam nights. But then one night at the uh, Carousel Jam, uh, there weren't any singers. No one, there was one or two people that sang. Mm-hmm. So, well, Al Britton said, Thousand, get up there and sing. <laughs> That's Al. And I did. And from there on, I became a singing jammer. Yeah. Um, I'm not very good at it, but um, at least I feel a spot. You know what I mean? Yeah. Look, you know what? I don't think it necessarily matters whether you're good at it or not. If you're enjoying what you're doing and the audience is enjoying what you're doing, what does it matter? It doesn't matter. Um, there are good and bad at, at all the jams. Yeah. Um, the ones that wreck it are the ones that think they're above everyone else. Yeah, right. Um, but everyone else seems to be all right with everyone else's music. Yeah, 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 yeah. So have you gone on to record uh, your own self-singing and playing or just instrumental? <clears throat> uh, I wanted to record a, um, an album. Um, oh, after after Sean, um, I started a duo called Chantra. Mm-hmm. Um, that was joining up Chantel and Ray to yep. Chantra, <clears throat> and we did we did all right for a while. We wrote about thirty songs. We cr- recorded an album and uh, an, um, an EP. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, since then, I thought, oh shit, I've I've got a lot of songs in me, so I just um, churned out a dozen or so songs. Nice. And then I went around the songwriter circuit. And on the songwriter circuit, you get 40 minutes. Right. And um, plus 50 bucks, I think. And they only book three people a night and Mm -hmm. it's by appointment. And um, there used to be the Songwriting Society and um, the the leaders of that went to um, Nashville to live, uh, uh, Zelda and Powell. Um, They they formed like an Australian songwriting club type thing. Yeah. And um, being uh, to write fantastic songs and send them to Nashville for potential usage by international artists. Mm-hmm. They're in Nashville now, living there. They've been living there the last 10 years. So I could potentially send them my songs and they will present them for me. Mm-hmm. So there's that option. That's uh, very exciting. Well, yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> but, uh, you know, songwriting is great because – it's a craft as 
as opposed to performance, which is an ability and um, you uh, not being nervous in front of people and stuff like that. Songwriting, you could be in a room and you could change things whenever you want. There's no time constrictions and performance anxiety and stuff like that. That's right, yeah. Um, and plus, if you know the creative process, because I studied um, uh, mind control and um, uh, what's that thing, alternative thinking methods. Oh, I remember us having a conversation about that, yeah. Mm. I'd forgotten about that. Because <clears throat> I uh, studied a lot of that offbeat stuff, mm-hmm. I, I sort of am good with the creative process. It, it served me well in television mm-hmm. uh, um, for because I, I would get clients that wanted X, Y, Z, and we had to produce it there and then. Oi, yeah. Uh, at, you know, $500 an hour that they were paying. And you had to create whatever they were saying in their minds. Yeah, there, right. There and then. <clears throat> and it's not hard to transfer that process to music. So the, a lot of the last music uh, things I was involved in, I treated it like it was a commercial production for someone else. Okay. So um, it's like someone says, write me a song about your childhood or something like that. Mm-hmm. So I would, I would take that and then use the creative process of writing all the um, things you want to put in the song, all the list of things, mashing things together. <clears throat> the creative process is more of taking two opposite things, smashing them together in a poetic way mm-hmm. that illustrates a point for you. Yeah, that's it. Very interesting. I like your way of thinking. It's very deep. <laughs> um, well, uh, anyway, um, so expanding your mind and knowing how things work just helps you with, um, with, with things in life in general, cracking the code of what to do, what to, not to do in any situation. Yeah. Um, so, and also transferring that, what I learned in video to music, to um, uh, home decoration or whatever, you know. It's, mm-hmm. all, it's all a process. <clears throat> there are secrets to, um, they're not really secrets, but there are things you can do to improve your life that some people can't be bothered with, but yeah. there's no real bother. And actually, it is called the secret. That is, <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> well, I, I'm funny. I, I saw the show, The Secret, mm-hmm. and, and it was very much like um, the silver mind control method. Yeah. And but the the bottom line is they didn't teach the real part of it, and a, a lot of these self help help books don't teach the real secret, which is at the end of self-programming mm-hmm. to forget about it and go on with your life. Okay. You need to forget about it for it to start happening because if you're still thinking about it, you haven't stopped, Created. stopped yes. the creation pro- process, yeah. Right, right. 
you're still in programming mode. You need to get out of programming mode and get on with your life to to create the journey for things to happen. That's right. And you're hundred percent right. Yes. And a lot of people don't um, don't move on and forget about it. They cling on to things, and stuff doesn't happen for them. Yes. 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 Very good point. Very very good point. Okay. Yes. Sir. Yeah, so you did your um with uh, Chandra the the duo. Did you do any other duos or that was yeah, kind of yeah, you I, did? I, I did. There was a girl named Sharon, and we had a band called Cover Note. Mm-hmm. It was disgustingly simple. <laughs> <laughs> she had a um, backing track for everything. Yep. So all I had to do was noodle lead guitar, and she sang pretty well. Yep. And played harmonica. Oh. But as we went on, uh, she had a lot of bookings in clubs, so we made good money. Yeah. <clears throat> but as we went on, we uh, faded out the backing tracks and started playing actual live. So that was pretty good. Yeah. But she uh, broke a leg in an accident and um, uh, stopped the duo. And then um, what else did I do? I went to Germany and played in um, – the uh, Sachsenhausen area in Frankfurt. There's some blues musicians. There's a guy, Matthias Baumgart. He's, he's the king of blues in Frankfurt. Uh-huh. And he, he gave me a couple of shots around there. And uh, the thing with Europe is a lot of the musicians are graduates of classical music. Yes. And yeah. music over there is... Uh, not a throwaway thing. You learn it properly. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, because of Mozart and their history of music, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It, it, in in European countries, it's taken very seriously, like art is. Yep. And you learn it properly. None of this, just learn the chords and fake it and, and stuff like that. Yeah. So the musicians I played with and saw over there were incredible. But they had accents, so they would sing like, I went down to the crossroads. <laughs> <coughs> yeah. So uh, hearing a Western or, or a non-European voice was helpful there. Yeah. Um, but it was a great place, great people, and uh, I learnt a lot there. That was great for a, a whirlwind do-it-yourself tour. It was good. Yeah, oh, that's so cool. That's really cool. Have you got a funny story for me, Ray, uh, that might have happened at a gig with Giza or sometime on the road or when you're over in Germany or any any funny story from anywhere? Uh, Funny story. Um, Back in the Giza days, we were booked at Paddington Town Hall um, for a a special gig Mm -hmm. and ACDC were on with us. Oh. Now, I've got a history with ACDC. Malcolm Young and I shared a girlfriend at one point. Oh, really? <laughs> and and I heard that my girlfriend was with Malcolm one night. And so, um, uh, let's face it, I, I knew four or five groupies that lived together. They were great girls. I shouldn't call them groupies, but they knew a lot of bands. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and so Malcolm... Uh, played in a band called uh, Velvet Underground. Yes. 
and they would come around to the house, you know. Anyway, uh, one particular night, I grabbed Malcolm by the shoulders, dragged him in the bedroom, and Liz thought, the, my girlfriend thought I was going to have a punch out, but Malcolm was thicker and stockier than me, yeah, and, and a bit older, so I wasn't going to pick a fight. So I sat him down. I said, "Teach me that guitar riff you play during." Um, T-Rex, uh, get it on. And he did. He taught me a couple of guitar riffs. Uh-huh. And he, he taught me a chugging type thing, uh, which was um, to, if you're playing an E chord, to drop the G sharp on the third string. Uh-huh. <clears throat> a, a really good chopping riff and all that. So uh, anyway, they were happy. I, I didn't have a punch up. <laughs> <laughs> But I wanted them to think that, so that was a bit funny. Yeah. Um, Malcolm didn't know any better. Um, <laughs> another time with Sean, uh, we were in Bowral uh, doing a gig, and it was a bikey uh, get-together. Um, I don't know what they call it, but different gangs from different areas all got together and had a big hullabaloo. Mm-hmm. And we were the band on that night. And halfway through the night, some uh, local tries to chat up one of the bikey girls. Oh, trouble. 20 bikies pick him up, <laughs> carry him over the head and just hurl him in the street. Oh, dear. <laughs> what a mistake. So um, on that night, I had a Stratocaster and a, a Gibson SG. And every time I go for the Stratocaster, they go, Angus guitar, Angus guitar. Angus guitar. <laughs> so I had to play the SG all night. Right. Because it was Angus's guitar. Yeah, right. And probably as heavy as hell. No, no, no. Uh, I had a 61 reissue. It's, they're light as a feather. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, so that was that was pretty funny, though. <laughs> That's good. There's another one. There wasn't a band-related thing. I was at the musicians' union, and, mm-hmm. and they have these, um, you know, musical talks about unions and um, fees and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So I'm at the musicians' union one night, <coughs> and during um, the tea break, I meet this big, massive black guy, and he's. Uh, talking to me and I'm here's me assuming all black people know each other <laughs> so I go do you know Craig Calhoun he goes I am Craig Calhoun <laughs> yeah, I'm black, you know um Craig was um a friend of mine introduced me to Craig uh some years back and he played a, a Christmas party of mine we like I said we had jam Christmas parties mm-hmm and one year I hired Craig Calhoun. Um, uh, he's an American bass player who runs a band called The Brothers of Oz. And their music is absolutely amazing. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he played one night and I, I jammed. And then I hadn't seen him until this particular night. So I go, oh, do you know Craig Calhoun? He's a good friend of mine. And he says, I am Craig Calhoun. <laughs> Anyway, oh, dear. How did you feel? 
Oh, well, it's small for a little bit, but he's a nice bloke. He he saw the funny side. Oh, I'd say he would. That's for and, sure. and another one, it's not a funny story so much as a, an interesting one is um, I had a good friend, Wayne Goodwin, who used to be the violinist for Amy Lou Harris. Mm-hmm. And he'd won a gold record playing with Graham Nash on, um, I can't remember the album, but the gold record hung in my office anyway. Oh, wow. Wayne um, was down on his luck for a while, so I let him teach music out of uh, my RFX offices, and um, occasionally he'd sleep there, so that's good. Anyway, um, Wayne got a cancer, um, and he got very ill and was in hospital getting leukaemia. And then uh, Crosby, Stills, Nash came to Australia. Graham Nash caught a taxi to the Royal North Shore, picked up Wayne Goodwin, who was the violinist on his album, mm-hmm. took him to the Crosby, Stills, Nash album, uh, Nash concert, and um, gave him a front row seat and then brought him back. And Oh, how nice. None of the nurses knew who he was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, that that's just a nice story. Graham Nash, good bloke. Yeah, that that's a beautiful story. Yeah. Now I want to go on to uh, you've sent me an MP3 yeah. of a beautiful, beautiful acoustic uh, instrumental. Would oh, you right. like Would you like to tell me a little bit about that, or tell the listeners a little bit about that, Ray? Uh, the writing, or uh... well, who it's for. Um, well, yeah, um, I wrote it the day my mother died. I, I just sort of whipped it up in more or less an afternoon. Yeah. Um, but it's a culmination of all the finger-picking. Like in, in in the years of television that I spent 30-odd years, I actually learnt classical guitar, finger-picking, Mel Travis style, mm-hmm. uh, Dobro slide guitar, Indian vena. I learnt a lot of this instruments rather than performing. Mm-hmm. So um, Ellen was a culmination of all that. So it's just um, an acoustic finger bomb. Well, I have listened to it and I think it's absolutely beautiful. What we might do is listen to it now. Okay.
I, I think that that's just beautiful. And the name of that track is Ellen. Mm. I think that that's just absolutely beautiful. Well yeah. done. Well done. Well, I, I named it after my mother. Um, yeah. Weirdly enough, um, one of the last commercials I did with Alan Johnson from Mojo, Alan uh, wrote all those songs like Good On Your Mum, Tip Top's The One, and uh, You Ought To Be Congratulated. Yeah. Um, I used the middle section of Ellen uh, for one of his TV commercials. Oh, wow. Um, he, he was cutting a commercial for bowel cancer at my place and he forgot to write a music track. And um, <clears throat> so I said, oh, I've got a bit of music. So I pulled out a classical guitar, plugged it in, played this bit of music, the middle bit of Ellen, and that became the backing track for the commercial. Oh, that is fantastic. As I said, it's just absolutely beautiful. I love how you play. Um, so very, very, very well done on that. Now, do you still have your Dobros there? Yeah, uh, yeah, I've got a few Dobros. I'm actually planning to sell a stack of guitars because um, I don't need them anymore. Okay. Um, but I've got a lot of weird things. I've got uh, two Indian Venus, uh, a Moog guitar, a... Um, fairy axe, um, uh, about four or five Dobro type things, mm -hmm. uh, pedal steel, as I said, mm -hmm. <coughs> a bunch of acoustics. Um, I've got a, a few Martins. I don't recommend Martin guitar for Australian performers. I think Australians should get um, Mayton or Cole Clark. Yeah, I do too, yeah. Um, not because of um, patriotism, but Martin guitars fall apart. They're just, oh, gee, they really? They're, they made, they're made of horse glue or whatever and they fall apart and to get them fixed is mega expensive. Wow. But buy an Australian, if it falls apart, you fix it locally. Mm. So I've had two Martins fall apart and uh, I'm not a big fan of their uh, gluing process. Right. Um, uh, but anyway, yeah. And like I said, the flavour of the lounge room changes with what mood I'm in that week. Yeah, absolutely. So, Ray, if somebody's interested in buying a guitar, how could they contact you to purchase? I'll use and announce uh, what I'm selling because uh, I've got to prepare them, do the setups and that. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> uh, I forgot to say, you know, 10, 10 or so years ago, I was more interested in the guitars in the music, being a musician. Mm -hmm. And I envisaged retiring, having a second-hand guitar shop. Oh. And so that's why I collected 60-odd guitars. Yeah, right. So I bought uh, ones that would be worth reselling, uh, uh, Gibsons and Fenders and Rickenbacker or Bretsch. Yep. <coughs> and I've still got most of them, but uh, uh, the second-hand guitar shop fell out the window and I've still got the guitars. Ah, oh, you know what? Never too late. <laughs> Never too late. Uh, yeah, so uh, I don't need them all. So I, I'm selling here and there, Gretches and this and that. Uh, I plan to keep uh, a, a few Gibson Sennies. Um, uh, what else? Uh, maybe one or two Fenders. I've yeah. still got a guitar I've had for 50 years. Oh, wow. A Fender Telecaster that I've had for a good 50 years. Um, so that I'm not allowed to get rid of that guitar. All <laughs> the 
all the kids learnt to play guitar on it. Oh, wow. Excellent. Excellent. So um, where would you announce that you're going to sell? Oh, uh, probably uh, probably on YouTube itself, maybe AJ's page or um, uh, eBay maybe. Yeah, uh, right, right. So it would be yeah. AJ's Emporium, is it? Uh, yeah, or, or, or the eBay uh, the Facebook marketplace. Yeah, that's it, that's it. That's yeah. it. Now, one, uh, one more thing before you go. Yeah, yeah. I know and I've seen that you are an extremely talented artist. Oh, I wouldn't say extremely, but yeah. You will. Yeah. Look, just was it yesterday or the day before you put up a watercolour of um, Jimi Hendrix? Yeah. And you've done so many and I just think they're beautiful. I hope that you are selling them or taking... Um, I don't know, request isn't the right word I'm looking for. Um... Oh, well, I've been a broadcast designer for a good 30 or more years mm. and I've had to draw storyboards and sketches to win jobs and and teach uh, the crew what they had to do. So most jobs I've been the director and the director is the one that draws the storyboards and has the visuals. Mm-hmm. And um, since I'm not doing television anymore and, and that creative sort of work, it's th this is just, for me, a form of storyboarding. Yeah. Well, you know, I see them every time you put something up and I just think, how fantastic is that? So what it, is the name of your Facebook page where everybody can see your work? Um, well, there's caricature, caricatures by Fowls for the caricature work. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, just my profile, it's in the My Art folder. <laughs> on uh, Ray Falzon. Yeah, yeah. Cool. That is excellent. All right, Ray. Well, thank you so much for joining me this evening. I've thoroughly enjoyed our talk. And, oh, um, you know, I look forward to seeing you around the traps, as they say. Yeah, pleasure. Yeah, it's <laughs> always good to see you and everyone else. It's always good. It is. All right. Thank you, Ray. Good night. Good night. Thank you. Thank you. And that was the very talented Ray Falzon. You have been listening to Conversations with Crystal. I am your hostess, Crystal. Please join me next week when we'll have another fabulous guest. Until then, please stay safe, stay happy, stay cool. Stay awesome. Most of all, please stay listening to this channel. Good night. Mm -hmm.